How great is the love our Father has lavished on us that we might be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Amen. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. Everyone will hate you because of me. In a world that says it demands as much transparency as possible from those who would lead it, no one outperforms Jesus in the full transparency department. But... When he speaks words like this, we want to give it a TMI label, right? The too much information designation by the very same world that's looking for this kind of transparency. Imagine for a moment, early in a relationship with someone new, that person with whom you are building that relationship just tells you straight out, that you may want to reconsider growing a relationship with them because sooner or later, as you invest more and more time and effort in growing to know them better, spending time with them, working with them, there will come moments when every last person in your life will at least for a time hate you because of your association with that new other person. Would that be the moment that you started quiet quitting that relationship slowly but surely? Oh, maybe you'd insist, no, 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 not at all. I'm not worried about that. You, you demonstrate and insist on your loyalty and tell them, nope, I'm, I'm going to be your friend no matter the cost. But in the recesses of your mind and the coldest, darkest spots of your heart, you're feeling that pull to start backing away from them because you know just how much that relationship is going to cost you. But this just one statement among many that Jesus made. You may recall a few weeks back in our conversations with each other in a different gospel text, we pointed out how 
how Jesus was pretty much the full disclosure guy. That we contemplated together that we likely will never encounter someone else that will tell us everything as openly and completely as Jesus. This statement comes from Jesus' final week of teaching in Jerusalem, in the temple, in just the days before he died. And he's teaching about the fall of Jerusalem, what the outcome would be for that city in fairly immediate history, and he's also at the same time teaching them about the end of the world. And it would be fascinating if we had the time, but we don't this morning, to take it step by step through the lengthier part of this lesson to determine which things Jesus is talking about were specific to what was about to happen in history in just the next generation, and which things were a bit farther off, as we know today, considerably farther off in regard to the end of all things. But in a way... It doesn't really matter which things Jesus is talking about in any given moment and providing predictive details about. Both events are clearly awful experiences for anyone, any human being making their way to them and making their way through them. But Jesus clearly knows and fully understands. He tells us so that he knows and understands what the experience will be like for believers who hold to their faith and confession of him as their Savior while enduring moments such as these. In these verses, once again, Jesus is fully disclosing his complete foreknowledge of everything that's going to happen, not just in the world and its history, but in your life and your journey from this moment until you meet him face to face. But he takes it a step further. By identifying his own shared human experience that makes him able to fully grasp what it all means for us as we experience these things. He knows what believers will struggle with most in the journey through the days he is predicting and describing for us, how important it is then for us, for our our comfort and our confidence, for our comprehension and our perspective and our response to everything that we're experiencing and everything that Jesus is saying here, to point back to the fact That every awful thing we are experiencing is something Jesus not only predicted in detail, but has allowed to happen for our good and the good of others. And Jesus told us not to be afraid in the moment because it is all part of his bigger plan for his believers to possess heaven. So Jesus tells us, that every generation will have its false teachers claiming, I'm he, again, in the flesh, Jesus returned, that the end is near. He tells us they will be among us, and we are not to listen to them. We are not to follow them. Jesus tells us to label them as false teachers because especially the claims they make about him and speaking for him, a word that's different than what we've heard from the Scriptures. 
and then we should be skeptical of everything else they say. He emphatically says here, do not follow them, and that is very consistent with everything else we hear in the scriptures about false teachers and false teaching. If you know someone is teaching you something, anything that does not measure up, does not square with the scriptures, do not follow them and do not even allow them influence over your life. You should be suspect of everything they teach you. Jesus wants you not to fear false doctrine, but also not to follow false teaching, but to hear his own voice through his word. He wants you to know the gospel and all of his word well enough that you have no doubt when you are hearing things that are from God, when you are hearing Jesus' own voice, and when you are hearing things completely of human origin that would lead you away from the Savior who speaks promises that are so amazing to you. Because he knows that when you hear his own voice, you will not fear, and you will follow him without fear. Especially when we hear all of these other things that Jesus tells us that each generation will experience in turn in their own time. He describes here things that will always keep us mindful of the fact that we're living continuously and perpetually in the end times. The impending end of all created things is coming. He speaks of wars, uprisings, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, and all kinds of awful, scary things, both in earthly realities and also here, he says, in the heavens above. You and I would be hard-pressed to add a category of things that Jesus is not speaking of here. He paints a complete picture of the consequences of sin and evil playing out in our world, our lives, our relationships, but also in all things beyond our reach in the heavens as well. Culture and nature, all these things playing out as the history of the world unfolds. Jesus wants every successive generation of Christians to know two particular things. First, we're not experiencing anything unique as much as we might like to think so. That the long list of things that are options for the moment in which we're living that point us to knowingly see these are marks of Sin and destruction in our world, but the ultimate destruction and final reality of our world coming is something he wants us to have on our minds. Rather, every generation will experience some of these brutal realities playing out during our days. And he intends them to lead us to see that the end is imminent. And then the second thing is that Jesus not only knows what all these things are going to be long before they happen, 
but we don't need to fear them. Not a single one of them. No fear because Jesus is in complete control of our now, and he is in completely in control of our forever. But then Jesus walks us down the path to what likely will be for most of us the hardest part of the Christian journey to experience and not to surrender to fear. He speaks of persecution and the conflict that comes into our lives because of our faith in and our confession of him as our eternal Savior. Jesus clearly includes in this the realities that are just a natural part of our living our faith on a daily basis, following God's will and guidance in our lives, labeling things he says are sinful as sinful and avoiding them and speaking to their consequence in the lives of others. Governments and bosses, neighbors and friends, even the closest of family relationships, will at times, according to Jesus, cause these hard moments by taking issue with our reliance on God's Word, our faith and our confession of the truth. But Jesus experienced that too. And that's what he wants us to understand. He experienced that too, even with his own disciples. There were moments in the ebb and flow of his popularity and his preaching that so many people were walking away from him because they didn't like what they were hearing that Jesus actually asked his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And they insisted that they couldn't, that they wouldn't, because he was the one that had the words of eternal life. But not only could they, they did. At the moment of Jesus' arrest, they all fled into the darkness and fear. And when Jesus hung alone on the cross, he had no doubt in his mind that he was completely abandoned to the point where he even asked his father why he has also forsaken him. Think on that for a moment. As you consider the theme of this meditation, think about the brutal rejection, the level of derision and abandonment and physical pain Jesus experienced. And realize he did all of that for you so that he could also walk the path of the very same experiences with you. So that you would know that he's standing next to you in those moments. Because he was willing to experience all of that as the payment for your sin, for the world's sin. And make us all right with God. Every awful, painful reality you experience in your life because of him... He does know exactly what you're going through. And he knows because the path of life he walked dished out every element of that to its ultimate degree. 
its absolute worst. So he knows just how bad it becomes for you at times. He knows that occasionally these experiences get so profound, so painful, so intense that they shake us to our very core. Not just our faith and our trust, but shake our souls, shake our whole being. And yet he still says to not be frightened about what we are experiencing. He even tells us that we shouldn't have a concern, a fear of having the right words with which to respond to all of that hate and all of that hurt that is coming our way because of our connection to him and our confession of him. And he tells us not to fear because his spirit will always be with us even within us. That's right. Jesus, who is God, the Word in human flesh, tells us that God is never gone. He may be physically back in heaven, sitting on the throne of heaven, but he is with us and in us, always working through his Word. He works in our hearts and our minds. He tells us again in verses like this that he keeps track of every hair that's on our heads. He tells us to always be conscious of the fact that we won't perish. We will never cease to exist. And we won't be doomed to eternity in hell. Even if the very worst of all things that could happen to us in this life did occur and we were martyred for our faith, that would not be a moment of destruction for us, but rather a moment of deliverance into the peace, the joy, the acceptance of God in heaven where he will embrace us and wipe every tear from our eyes. And that moment will become an encouragement for our fellow believers to stand firm in the faith and will be a moment that he uses to evangelize the unbelievers who will be stunned by the depth of our faith and our commitment and our lack of fear because of the faith the Holy Spirit has created in us. But there is one more thing to contemplate here. We are told not to be fearful that we won't be able to measure up to the moment when our name is called for persecution or even prosecution for our faith. Jesus wants us to know that every word he has ever spoken to us through our entire relationship with him has prepared us for that moment. We have spent time consoling our hearts with his word, growing faith and trust and reliance. We have invested heavily in broadening our minds with his word so we understand more of who he is and what he tells us and how it impacts our lives every day and what we actually live in response to what he tells us in his word. Quiet time spent at the altar of the sacrament, receiving his precious body and blood, has deepened our connection to forgiveness. 
It has strengthened us. And all these things play their role in preparing us for our moments of confession so that we do not shrink away from them no matter who it might be challenging us in such moments. Rather, we rejoice in confidence, free from fear, standing firm, not following the voices that challenge us to believe what God has told us, but trusting his word and counting ourselves blessed for having been worthy of being counted amongst the suffering for the cause of Christ. Retribution is what our natural hearts always want. It's who we are as sinful human beings. But retribution has never blessed or saved anyone not on the dishing out side of it, not on the receiving end of it. Retribution and retaliation is not available to us. God says so clearly in his word. But he also says here that justice is. That in the end, he is taking the accounting of everyone who troubles us, everyone who works against his word, everyone that does violence, everyone that takes advantage of another human being, every situation of every circumstance of every life that violates his will and causes victimization of others who are blood-bought souls that he has valued so completely that he has taken their place to save them. Our Savior assures us our God has prepared exactly what every soul that has rejected him deserves in eternity. No one is going to get away with anything. So he turns instead here in these verses to calming us with the knowledge that our God sees, our God knows And our God emboldens us by making it clear that he will be perfect. That he will be flawless in sorting out everything for everyone after this life and this reality has ended. So we can stand firm to the end. We can stand opposed to those who would teach us things that are false and not follow them. We can observe everything going on in our world. And even in our personal relationships. And know, without any doubt, that our Savior God, who also is our brother, knows exactly what is going on, has a heart for us in those moments, knows exactly what we are going through, that he has experienced it all himself to its ultimate worst degree, and that we have every reason 
every reason to always be confident in Christ and to trust Him. Trust Him when He tells us. We don't need to be afraid of anything. Ever. Amen. Please stand. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.